to the latest episode of CBF New Church Starts Conversation. Today is a big one. Today we have with us Susie Painter, who is Executive Coordinator of CBF Global. I've had the privilege of being a part of the fellowship for 15 years now. And one of the shifts I've seen take place in the last three years under Susie's leadership um, is a renewal of a sense of creativity um, and depth, um, the thought of new and innovative ways for us to do ministry uh, in this emerging culture. But I think one of the greatest footprints she has made among the fellowship and, and around the world is being a callus of support around the work of advocacy um, and seeing real work done for the kingdom of God, making a difference every single day. We're excited that she's going to be able to join us today for this podcast episode, talk a little bit about CBF Church Starts and how that fits within uh, the CBF family. So welcome, Susie. It's so great to be here, Andy. It really is, and um, especially to be able to visit with church starters. While we are seeing a development and many new church starts within the fellowship, the base of CBF is established congregations. And oftentimes, established congregations can uh, elevate some sense of an anxiety when it comes to church starting, uh, thoughts around how do we partner with them, with the amount of resources that we have, what kinds of resources do they need, and then there's the, also that kind of funny little thought around, well, here's the new kid in town uh, here to tell us how to do real ministry in the real world today. And so I've, I've honestly come to see that both established churches and new church starts can learn a lot from each other. Um, so when you think about those two things, what CBF church starts can teach our established congregations and what established congregations can teach our new church starts, what comes to mind for you? You know, I think a couple of things really stand out. One, in thinking about uh, teaching and learning as a common organization, you know, just let's start with that premise. The fact that we are a learning organization. And um, when you even consider the way in which our churches have grown in the past, the idea of being in conversation with other congregations is not necessarily the premise that always um, a part of our history, but I think it is a premise for our future, that congregations will be more collaborative, more conversational, and more supportive of each other as we go forward. The idea that a single church can exist as an island in their community by themselves, never interacting with other churches, is um, really kind of a sad and old paradigm. So I, I think we began by saying in this, let's call it an ecosystem of the fellowship, that we need church. We've got churches at every stage. We've got churches that are just beginning. We've got churches that are uh, in a cell group um, maturation process that are forming vision and, and acquiring significant relationships. And then we've got churches that are maturing to uh, a different stage of, you know, more complicated, multi-cell sort of congregations. We've got churches that are flourishing and large. We have churches that are beginning to decline because of changing demographics. We've got churches that are in hospice care, you might say. And we have churches, so we have that full arc of an ecosystem. And I think first we have to understand that the, every part of that ecosystem has uh, a part of the conversation. So 
I think one, one of the most important aspects of church starting is to help amplify the message of our churches that are beginning. Because they're small, they may not have as big a voice. And therefore, their voice needs to be amplified so that the rest of the ecosystem can learn from them. And I think that's one of the reasons that CBF is committed to your leadership, the leadership of Harry Rowland, the leadership of our communication staff to be in um, partnership with church starters. And so that the lessons and the uh, commitment to diversity, the commitment to new contexts, the commitment to new varieties of ministry and mission uh, can be shared throughout the whole ecosystem. So let me park there for a minute and talk about a couple of things. I think that there's some very important messages that come from church starting. And one of those is the vitality of mission, missional and mission-centered church growth. Um, <clears throat> used to be that a congregation would get together and then they'd sit around and think, now, hmm, what can we do for a mission? But more likely today in church starting, you have people that are focused on a missional endeavor. And that missional endeavor, whether it's reaching out to a certain community or expressing themselves like a prison community or a community in need or a certain geographical area, uh, or if it's a community that is, um, uh, you know, like a group of people that are, have a common interest like, um, like running or like being a part of a, a group that, like a cowboy church, you know, that sort of thing, a, a cultural distinctive focus, that these aspects are the missional center of the church. And then the church becomes the congregation. So it's kind of an opposite way of growing. And I think so that speaks to the other end of the ecosystem, more established churches and declining churches, if they're interested in revitalization or if they're interested in a missional endeavor uh, in vitalizing their ministry. So a um, very important aspect of church starting to me. And one reason that we, um, you know, so you might think, a church start is not just a mini church. You know, it's not like a small church that's going to grow up and look like it is a fully formed congregation with a fully engaged message from its conception. And therefore, the whole ecosystem needs to be uh, informed by that. So that's from the church start perspective into the larger ecosystem. From the larger ecosystem back to church starts, I think one of the things we're um, most responsible for is support and nurture for continued um, like pumping the blood through a new church start. So there may be something that a new church start is in need of that's available from the larger fellowship. So how would they know to access that and how could that uh, gift be brought to bear? For instance, it may be in something as practical as just worship itself. Um, music planning, you know, worship themes, using whether you use the um, lectionary or, or things like. So there may be uh, models and things that could be tried out, or you know, a, a small group, maybe even a podcast like this from established congregations that might have uh, kind of lightened the load of uh, for somebody that's in church starting, and so. 
it seems to me that they're think their gifts back to church starts from the larger fellowship and that a part of having uh, people in leadership in, in the church starting arena like you and like Harry and like Josh Spate might be to harvest some of those um, areas, knowing where some of those things might exist. You all know the needs of the church start and you know, might know where some uh, wonderful connections are and that those would be made available through the system. So that may seem obvious to people, but I think it is something that requires intentionality to build an ecosystem and to make that ecosystem communicate among itself. Yeah, I think that's absolutely brilliant. And and one of the things that comes to mind to me, first and foremost, is my role as a church starter uh, beyond my capacity with CBF. I remember receiving an email um, from a congregation in South Carolina one year, and then in a couple of weeks later, an email from a congregation in Virginia, and they simply said, uh, we were reading about and teaching our children about the work of Mosaic tonight, and we just wanted to oh, let wow. you know, thank you, and we wanted to let you know that we we're praying for you. And so it's, it's a beautiful, I, I love the image you've given of, of an ecosystem, because it really is it's that we exist uh, with each other. Um, it's, it's something that is, is a beautiful thing to be a part of. Uh, to know that there's a, a, a net of support and encouragement from both ends. Um, you know, one of the things you talked about was that our church starters can can teach people a lot about community, uh, or I would, you know, use the term community or relational ministry, um, connecting with people and things they enjoy doing. Oftentimes, um, when I'm working with a congregation, a traditional congregation, and the, sometimes the question begins with, we want to know how we reach young people. And so I say, well, how, how willing are you to take it? Let's take about 5,000 steps back and, <laughs> and take a look at this from a broader perspective of what does it mean to be missional and how do we want to authentically connect with people around us? And so um, it's good to know that our church starters can, can teach um, our traditional churches about that. You spoke about some things there uh, that, that resonate well with me, and, and I would maybe use the language of a partnership. And mm-hmm. when you think about the ways that our established congregations can partner with our new church starts, what kind of things come to mind for you? You know, I think um, clearly one, thing, one example you've given is the encourager, uh, how to partner, how to encourage on both ends. You know, I think sometimes... Um, more established churches may need the encouragement from a church starter, you know, and uh, what they've seen. The One of the interesting aspects to me um, are the people that are willing to be a part of a core group in a church start. You know, I think that uh, cultivating uh, that interest and that and sort of fanning the flame of spiritual embers that um, may be sparking inside of people um, and then encourage them to, to join a core group. I think it, you know, you can see it as a, uh, on the journey of a Christian vocation or is that at some point in your own Christian journey, might you be a part of a core group for a church start? Um, one of the things that, that I've seen, one area that I've seen that be so effective is when uh, a chaplain, who may be a longtime member in another congregation, but gives, you know, a commitment to being five years a part of a core group for a church start and bringing their skills as a chaplain, both their 
uh, training and capacity for engaging all manner of pluralism um, in ministry, but also their uh, considerable pastoral care skills and how to manage crisis and how to respond um, in a variety of situations that sometimes that gift of just kind of being a chaplain within a core group can be a great asset for the beginnings of building a healthy church. And um, so that sort of commitment to being a part of a core group as a stepping stone in Christian discipleship. And um, that is a personal way of partnering. And I think CBF can play a role in encouraging that in our meetings, whether state and regional meetings or in um, smaller uh, areas like peer learning groups and helping pastors know how to cultivate uh, that in someone else. And, and it's frightening. I know, you know, I mean, personally in my own life, I've been in churches where people have left a congregation to become part of a core team for a church start. And, you know, gosh, that's such a great couple. You hate to lose them in your church. You have that sort of anxiety that's happening, but um, in the greater kingdom work. And, and when you think about if you, if you have cultivated the idea of a larger ecology, then it lessens that um, anxiety. It's not so much a loss to your church, but as a gain for this larger community and the larger fellowship. And so now it's interesting that very couple, if you, if you wind the clock back, oh, maybe six years, that couple who left, you know, our church and went to be a part of a core group for a new church, there was a lot of worry about, you know, gosh, who'll fill their shoes, you know, in the uh, previous congregation. But now that previous congregation feels so connected to that church start and so proud of the way in which that church is flourishing that honestly, it is more of a family relationship. But it took that encouragement and risk and it, and it took the cultivating and the encouragement of that couple to go and be a part of a core group for another congregation. So I think that the, that's one way of partnership. Another, another aspect of partnership in CBF life is um, working across the different, uh, what I would call nodes in our network and points of contact. So sometimes that is an establishment of a peer support group for that church starters are a part of a larger, not just the cohort that is all starting churches, but that they might be a part of a peer learning group in their region where they're interfacing with um, congregational leaders and uh, pastoral leaders from congregations in a whole region. Uh, I'll never forget, uh, I was at the All Church Challenge in Helena. I think there were, over the summer, I mean, something like I don't know, 16 churches that came and went to help in that um, endeavor for the summer camp in Helena, Arkansas with Together for Hope. And one of the things that came out of that is that some of the pastoral leaders, church staff members that met each other at Helena, um, even though they didn't live even in the same state, they were still connecting with each other um, as an affinity group, as sort of an impromptu peer group. And in fact, there was one group that they actually drove each, each person, there were six of them, and they found a place that was in common where they each one drove 100 miles to meet. And I think every three months, they didn't do it every month, but every three months they drove 100 miles to meet 
And um, so that kind of partnership that I think is personal for leadership development, networking, uh, also for ministry resources, that's another aspect of partnership. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't remember who originally coined the phrase. Uh, the phrase I remember hearing when we were starting the process um, is that healthy congregations birth new churches. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think for a lot of our congregations, uh, the thought of supporting new church starts brings a lot of anxiety. Um, but in my experience, um, and some of the things that you're saying here, that um, when, you, when you walk through the process of helping uh, a new congregation start, it, it oftentimes gives you a place of introspection to say, why are we doing what we're doing? And how can we do that better and more effectively, um, more authentic? And so, uh, you know, healthy churches birth new congregations because they they know their missiology. You know, I'm trying to say it gives, it's like a kingdom, kingdom-centered minded thing that um, we know this isn't just about us, but it's about connecting with all people in all places within our community. And I think, I think there is an underlying assumption that we need to name as well. And that is that uh, when you look at the, if you want to call it the church demographics of CBF, you know, we don't have a tremendous number of very, very small churches, nor do we have a tremendous number of very, very large churches. We're sort of a medium-sized church organization. Our fellowship is primarily, you know, in that range of a, 100 to 700 members. That's where most of our churches are. And I think that uh, belies kind of a um, uh, an assumption that was underlying what you were saying, that this idea of starting another church, that there is a sense in which not that other church models don't, can't be authentic, but that in in our expression, that congregations where people know each other, where the pastor is able to know everybody in the congregation, or at least know know their families and or the church staff is that that is a value for us um, that seems to be common and almost a consensus value. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the idea of church starting, uh, re- regenerative church starting so that we're creating congregations that also know each other, mm. that have an affinity, that are community, and that then can be missional because of that nucleus. You know, it's not just to fit a certain demographic, but it's also to be true to this missional aspect of living the gospel in the context where you are. Um, if, con- if your congregation is so big or so small, then it's not as contextual of a congregation. And so um, in our particular expression in the kingdom of God, I think that that is one thing that I see um, across our, our churches. You know, sometimes partnering with new church starts brings a lot of anxiety. Um, some of our congregations might be facing shrinking budgets uh, aging buildings. And so sometimes helping our congregations think uh, creatively around partnership um, lifts that anxiety and restores some sense of um, importance uh, to why, why they matter to the fellowship. So, um, you know, not all churches can provide financial partnership to some of our new church starts that might be in their state and region. 
Uh, but they might be able to do simple things like uh, offer administrative assistance in the first couple of years. You know, we'll church say to a church store, we'll take care of your books, track your giving for you, send out those statements. Um, and the simple thing yet profound thing of prayer and, and partnership in prayer, um, you know, a lot of our church starters, it's like many of our pastors, ministry is a lonely place. And so to know that there's an entire congregation that's praying for uh, for you and the work that you're doing, I think is one of the best investments a church uh, can make in one of our new church starts. Um, you know, in, in our publication, Prayers for the People, that is a f- wonderful publication, and it features church start stories. It, it features names and places um, specifically for prayer. And I just... Um, I'm so grateful to the quality of writers that we have for helping to express these uh, the stories and the deep um, commitment to prayer. And, you know, I, I'll never forget, and this, again, I can't quote the author, but I'll never forget this quote um, because it came with an illustration. There was like a line drawing on a single page, and it was... Uh, a mailbox with the door open, flat open. And inside is a single letter standing in the mailbox. And at the bottom, it says, a letter is a prayer that meant what it said. Mm. (laughs) The idea being that if you pray for someone, let them know. Or if you pray for someone, also do a tangible outreach of encouragement. Mm. And I think that's one thing that um, in all areas of ministry, you're right. Ministry can be lonely and ministry at the beginning can be fraught with so many questions and there's so many good choices ahead and so many perilous choices ahead. <laughs> I think the, uh, the, just the encouragement that keep, keep taking the step, you know, keep making the next step that, uh, and, you know, I honestly, uh, I guess I'm sort of a nerd this way, but as I go around to other, as, as I go around to churches, I always ask, do you have a church history, a book that's about your church history? And, you know, if you read chapter one of most people's church history, you will find a story that's very similar to the very things you hear in our church starting groups today. Regardless of the century or the decade, you know, so much of the beginning of congregations uh, is really about the call of those particular people that were there. I guess one of my most... um, uh, most favorite aspects of that is um, in some of the, like from the 1840s and 1850s, some of the church covenants that were written at the beginning of some of our church starts of that century, you know, they're almost at, to the word. They're almost identical to the things that people say today. And to me, I find that fascinating. Yeah. First Baptist Church of Austin that, um, Roger served and that we were in for 18 years, had a wonderful phrase, and I've used it in sermons across the fellowship that came from their 1845 church covenant out of the beginnings of that church. Um, And it it is to serve an adventurous obedience to Jesus Christ. And if that's not a phrase for church starters, I don't know what is. (laughs) That's excellent. That's excellent. Um, Wow. I hadn't thought about that, but, you know, in a sense, we, we all have been a part of a new church start uh, just in different, different places and times. 
Well, uh, the Church Start Initiative um, really um, has gone through several phases within CBF, and it's in its newest expression. We are starting to see um, different ways of, of being the church together, different expressions of that um, from all different states and regions. Um, and there's not one way that people are doing church is exciting, and there's not one type of person that we are collecting. Um, I think for many people, if they think of a church starter, that great, isn't that great? (laughs) (laughs) It is. And it's, and it's, to me, it's a a testament to the work of the fellowship that um, while we began with many congregations that weren't identical, come from similar contexts and similar uh, understandings of the church and theology, we're, we're, we're broadening, um, our horizons when it comes to who it is that we're connecting with. And it's, it's a beautiful thing uh, to be a part of within the fellowship. Uh, maybe uh, the best way to express that is to take a look at the church starters that we're going to commission this summer at General Assembly in Greensboro. Um, we have eight new church starts we're commissioning. And so when I think about this summer and looking on the stage, uh, I see just a diversity of ethnicities, uh, a diversity of gender, a diversity of context and geography. Uh, We'll have four African-American church starters, one Cuban-American church starter, and three Anglo church starters from from all over the country. So when you picture that, when you see this diversity, what comes to mind for you? how does that speak to you of the greater narrative of the fellowship? Well, in coming to the fellowship three years ago, one of my um, stated objectives was to encourage and to help the fellowship intentionally seek diversity uh, authentically and in partnership and friendship and in uh familia in in the sense of being a large family, but to seek diversity. Um, And I I think that it is uh, really incumbent on us in this day and time in expressing Christian witness. I I think we have to be intentional about uh, embracing and exploring with enthusiasm the theologies and the cultures uh, from other voices that might not have been in our traditional um, CBF or, you know, sort of traditional Anglo circle that it's, it's time to break, break those uh, boundaries and, and let the wonderful, fertile, multicultural um, wisdom of God's great leadership, you know, speak into our fellowship. So that's intentional. And, it's a celebration, and I think it's a it's also a picture of our future. And um, I do believe this is a consensus value of the fellowship. You know, one of the things that I, I just would bring to note uh, about our sociology as fel- as the fellowship, there's a large percentage of our churches, um, traditional established churches in the fellowship, that were begun in the late '60s and early '70s. If you take a look at that piece of our sociology, many, many, many of those churches, if they have a start date or anywhere between 63 and 73, 
many of them started because they were the group that responded during civil rights and said, you know, they were in a large downtown church usually that was not going to integrate. And this was a group of people that said, that is not who we're going to be in the future. And so many of our CVF churches, several that uh, I've been in, were started in the in the late 60s, early 70s as an expression of their commitment to integration in their communities. And often at a, you know, with a lot of stress and and distress, you know, in the community about that congregation. But those churches, and I mention that because I think that is evidence of a longstanding consensus towards diversity and toward multiculturalism and toward putting ourselves on the line. And that would be an interesting church start, actual uh, church starting uh, dissertation, I think, to go back and look at some of those churches that were started during that period and what it meant. And in fact, a friend of mine actually is writing the history of a church that was started in that time. And I was uh, was interested to be in some of those interviews talking about the sacrifices that people made to kind of step out and say, that is not who we're going to be. And we're starting this new church. Hmm. Um, One of the comments that was made about that church start in that time was uh, they were considered the rebels. They were considered, you know, troublemakers in their community. And so they said, well, we're going to build this new church. When they started talking about a new church building, they said, we want clear glass windows because we want people who drive by to look in and see that we're not crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But I think those seeds, the reason I mentioned that about diversity, this is not just like put our finger in the wind and say, is this what is trendy? But I think it is really born from the values within the fellowship in so many areas. And I believe it's a consensus And so one of the things that you'll see in commitment to that is not just in church starting, but also at the General Assembly, a commitment to, uh, for instance, putting the New Baptist Covenant on Thursday, intentionally bringing emphasis to um, diversity and and how intentionality uh, about it is required. It doesn't happen just as a byproduct of something else. Hmm. Yeah, this is uh, it's an exciting year, but I think it it speaks to a greater narrative of the way that CBF is shifting into this emerging culture. And, um, you know, for many, they think uh, church starting, especially for CBF, uh, they think of the kind of still in the Bible Belt, uh, Southern trend of, of starting churches here. Um, but, you know, in reality, we're growing in, in new spaces. The fellowship is uh, yeah. one of our primary church starters. Um, I would say the anchor of this year uh, will be a church starter coming out of Philadelphia. Uh, and so expanding uh, the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic uh, region and to bring a great diversity. In fact, that's that's two new church starts we've had added to that region in the last two years. And so the, the fellowship is moving beyond uh, the confines of where everyone would consider to be uh, a where we are, where we're located, where our base is. Uh, Miami is another church starter growing, helping us develop. Yeah, the Northwest too. I mean, I think that's really, um, and, and it's incumbent on us as the rest of the fellowship to support, uh, build a, a stronger network of support around church starts in these locations where they may not have as many uh, just natural resources from the fellowship in their backyard. So again, I think that is something, you know, about nurturing um, 
church starts in the locations where we are, we want to grow. We want to make this vital. And, you know, uh, Mid-Atlantic's a good example. I mean, there's a lot going on in Mid-Atlantic right now. And there's, you know, more activity in the Northwest. And so I just applaud you, Andy, too, for helping to group people together so that they, they do have a sense that there are other people with the same kinds of challenges, um, whether that's in the East or the West or the North, that, um, so that they have each other to both to lean on, but also to ask this other question right back into the wider fellowship of, Hey, we're out here. How can you guys support us? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just be honest. All the fellowship wants us to grow more churches in the Northwest. Cause I mean, wouldn't it be fun <laughs> to have general assembly in Seattle or Portland or San Francisco? Uh, I don't think any of us would hate going out there for a couple of days. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, that brings me to another um, point I thought about a while ago, so I'm going to throw it in here since you mentioned that. Um, I do think there's kind of uh, another way to partner is sort of being the Airbnb of the fellowship. There's a lot to be said for just going and spending some time with someone else in their congregation. Mm. And, you know, that doesn't have to be a big giant program or a grant from the Lilly Foundation. I mean, it just is you know, going and whether that's um, to let go and let somebody else be on vacation, you know, and um, and you go live in their house and kind of walk a mile in their moccasins for a few days uh, at their church and uh, do the things that, that they would normally do, or whether that is actually hosting somebody to be in your congregation with you. Um, but this whole idea of kind of being the theologian in residence or the visiting you know, preacher in residence or the visiting minister in residence or the visiting chaplain in residence, just coming and being alongside somebody is a tremendous gift that we can give each other. Mm-hmm. And um, it doesn't have to be, like I said, a big giant program. It can just be an extension of true friendship. Yeah, I'd like to see that become more part of our culture in the future. And Certainly the church starts in the Northwest and uh, San Francisco and even Philadelphia have a lot to offer in that area. Well, there's, I mean, it points to a a greater thing within our anthropology, which is we, we all have a story that we want uh, heard. And um, so to have the space to tell that story and for someone to come in and to affirm that story gives us new life and encouragement. Um, and, you know, I, I really want to encourage um, our uh, church starters to speak their words of insight into our community that they may feel like, well, you know, I'm, you know, there's just a few Cubans in, you know, CBF life, so maybe I should just keep my mouth shut. But I would just say the opposite. Please give us the gift of your voice within the fellowship. Uh, encourage us. And, you know, I think one of the most impactful uh, books on me in the last 10 years has been Philip Jenkins' book, where he talks about the gospel being read in different cultures mm. and how much insight, how much freshness comes um, by listening to the voices of others from different cultural perspectives. Just reflect in their honest and authentic reflections on scripture is a teaching tool for the kingdom. And I think is another voice, uh, you know, the Holy spirit into our whole fellowship. Hmm. Well, this has been excellent. I think my three takeaways from our conversation today, um, 
The first one is one of the things you said at the beginning, which is uh, one of the greatest assets um, our established churches can give our new church starters is to fan the embers inside of them to respond to this call on their life. Um, Maybe another takeaway is that the fellowship is a great ecosystem that established churches can support our new church starts and, and our new church starts can support our established churches. And I think the third thing is that the fellowship is continuing to broaden its diversity of congregations. So thank you so much for your time with us. Uh, yeah, my last um, affirmation is just to you, Andy. Thank you for your leadership. And thank you to each church starter for following God's call in such uh, an exciting but unknown territory. I'm so grateful to you to be the pioneers and explorers. And that aspect of your spiritual gifts is a gift to all of us. And um, uh, just encourage you to be risk averse <laughs> in that because the um, that kind of spark and, and beauty is really needed in the great kingdom of God. So thank you. Thanks for joining this Church Starts Conversation. For more information about church starting and other initiatives about the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, visit cbf.net.